Hey everybody, this is Danny Heinemann. I'm the campus minister for Reformed University Fellowship here at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, welcome back to our podcast that we're doing this semester. Um, for the rest of the semester, as we've said before, uh, we're going to be walking through the theme of communion with God. And we're going to be doing that through the lens of um, some of the important theological concepts that, that at least we think are important at RUF. Um, so we're going to be spending, I don't know, six to eight weeks or so uh, walking through the theme of communion with God uh, as it can be understood through Scripture, how we come into communion with God through the Bible itself. Uh, justification, which is a theological category. If you don't know what it is, we will explain it, but it's it's how we get right with God, basically, um, and how that getting right is a means into communion with God. We're going to talk about that for a little while. And then we're also going to talk about it through the I, the themes of sanctification and glorification. So uh, we are on week two, and we spent last week talking about communion with God through the scriptures, like how that actually happens, uh, or how we can say that that is true. Um, and if you, if you have questions about that, go back and listen to that from last week. But this week, we're going to be talking about how to read the Bible uh, in light of that fact. So if it is true that we can experience communion with God through the scriptures, like the, the Bibles that we own, that you can buy at any bookstore, um, if it's true that we can come into, that we can enter into communion with God through his word, um, how, should we, how should that affect how we read? And so what we're going to talk about this week is um, how to think about how to read the Bible. Um, and so we're going to walk through a few, a few different things that I think will help clarify that question for us. Okay, so this conversation about how to read the Bible, how to interpret it, is a really, it seems like it should be a simple thing, um, but the, the more that you get into it, the more you find that it's actually a fairly complicated thing. And, and it's a thing that we do by intuition um, a lot more than we do explicitly. I mean, when you think about reading a book, you carry all kinds of assumptions about um, how to arrive at the meaning of that text that you don't even have to think about because of the ways that we have been trained to read or, or maybe not even trained to read. So um, I want to acknowledge at the outset that this, is, this can be like a really complicated conversation, and I'm going to do my best, and I think there are ways to explain this, um, to cut through some of the complications and um, make it not so complicated because at the end of the day, God has given us his word to be understood, uh, to be read, to be understood, to be taken in um, to our lives and to be uh, lived out. And so we're going to move through this in a, in a few different ways. Um, and I want to say at the outset that there is a, there's a really well-known little book, it's very old, but that I would recommend to you all, um, called On Christian Teaching or On Christian Doctrine. And it's a book by a guy named St. Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo. And um, if you've been around RUF a fair amount, you've probably heard me mention him. I feel like everything comes back to Augustine for us. But that's kind of, we, that, that is the case kind of because everything in at least the Western church, which is what we are a part of, um, everything theologically can, almost everything can be traced back to Augustine, or a riff on Augustine, or a... A contention with Augustine. But he kind of sets the terms for a lot of our theological conversations. And he's got this little book that I said, like I said, called On Christian Teaching, On Christian Doctrine, 
that is basically a little manual. It's a manual for pastors that he wrote for how to interpret and then teach the scriptures. But his principles for interpretation are really wonderful, and that's what we're going to look at here. So the first thing that we usually talk about, and the first thing, if you've hung around the church a whole lot, you've probably um, intuited some of this, is that you want to pay attention to the context. Um, And behind paying attention to the context is a desire to get as close to what people call the intent or the intention, the intended meaning of the author of whatever biblical book we're looking at. We want to get as close as we can to their intention. Um, The problem with that is (laughs) these words are thousands of years old and the communities that they were writing to are thousands of years old. And the, you know, linguistic and cultural details that they just assumed um, are, are, are hard for us to access. And so one of the ways that we get closer to accessing this kind of stuff is by doing our best to pay attention to the cultural context into which a text was written, uh, the historical background of whatever community is both producing and receiving that text, or the writer and the audience. Um, And then we want to pay attention to to where this fits in the Bible as a, a body of Christian scripture. So like where does this fit in the context not just of history, but of the Bible. And so I, I want to take a second to t- sh- sh- explain what I mean. So first, one of the things I think, you know, we could get, we could spend a month on this. And in fact, with our Bible study leaders, we spend like a whole semester on this kind of stuff. So we're not going to be able to do it justice in a 20-minute podcast. But the first thing that I want to, um, that I want to suggest is really helpful for us to understand is what kind of book are we looking at? Um, and the word that we typically use for that is genre right, like genres of music, pop, country, whatever. Um, That same kind of category can be applied to a written text. And so in the Bible, you've got all kinds of different genres. You've got narrative, like historical narrative, like a story about something that happened in a time and a place. And then it's a story about how that happened, who were the major players, that kind of thing. You've got things like wisdom literature, so like proverbs, you know. proverbial literature, um, but but included in that are things like the Psalms and Song of Solomon and those kinds of things. And then sprinkled in throughout all that, you've got things like poetry. I mean, the Psalms are the songbook of Israel, and so and they're definitely poetic, um, and they're intended to be read that way. And that, that'll change the, the way that you apply or even and interpret a text. You've got things like prophecy, which is not the way that we typically think of that word you know, we typically think of prophecy as like predicting the future, but it's more about um, people who are speaking as the mouthpiece of God. But you've got a you're, you've got a different set of expectations for a text when you understand that it's prophecy than when you think it's historical narrative, right? Prophecy is going to have a lot more. It's going to be a lot more driven by image. Um, it's going to be a lot more, um, I would say, like artistic and even maybe poetical, even though it's not poetry. Um, but it's going to use images to kind of show you what it, what it means. And then you've got um, the epistle, which is a letter. And it's a letter from a person to a specific community about a certain set of issues. And so what I, what I just want you to see is that when you're looking at different books in the Bible, you're going to be looking at different genres. And that should, to some extent, control or dictate to you the expectations that you have of a text when you're coming to it. For example... Um, 
Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Is there an actual valley that the psalmist is referring to called the valley of the shadow of death? No, of course not. Do you understand what he means when he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Yes, of course you do. Everybody knows what it feels like to walk through something like the valley of the shadow of death, like a dark time in your life, um, a time when it seems like bad things and death is, is all around you, right? This is just an example of how we just very intuitively and um, tacitly bring expectations to our interpretation of the text. And what, what will be helpful for you as you read the Bible and in that reading are attempting to enter into communion with God, right? Remember, we can't forget that that's the goal. Um, it's helpful to be explicit about what kinds of interpretive expectations you bring into a text. So the second thing that is, that is helpful in terms of um, getting into questions of intent is, is recognizing where whatever text you're looking at falls in the story that the Bible tells. And you may be surprised to know that the Bible is actually really a story. It's a story about uh, what God making the world and then what's wrong with the world and what God has done to fix it. That's essentially what the Bible is about. And the story that it tells is a story that has all the basic elements of a narrative. It has setting, conflict, climax, uh, you know, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. It has all of those aspects. And you can find those things in the way, in the story that the Bible tells. So the setting is, is creation, all things that exist, Genesis 1 and 2. The conflict that really animates the rest of the story is the introduction of sin into the world. It's what we call the fall of creation into sin. That's Genesis chapter 3 um, and following. And then really the this, this story, the action in the story, the tension in the story rises until we get to the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, you could say that the in in some sense the climax of the of the story that was that was kind of set into motion by the fall of the world into sin is the cross. But even after the cross, there's still this unfinished, in a sense, quality to the story, and it doesn't find its resolution until you get to Revelation chapters 21 and 22, which is um, what we call the consummation, the, the texts that describe the consummation of heaven and earth, the coming together. Uh, of heaven and earth. So an important question to be asking is where does the text that I'm looking at fall in this storyline? Does it is it before the conflict or after the conflict? Is it the conflict? Is it before the climax or after the climax? And how does it relate to the rest of these parts of the story? That will be very helpful for you in um, getting close as close as you can to the intent of a text. Now Augustine in his little book that I talked about earlier um, on Christian on Christian teaching, he actually thinks this is, a, is a, this is an important um, step in interpreting the Bible and moving into communion with God. And the reason that he says that is because um, he, he, he says, here's, well, I'll just say, here's how he says it. He says, um, careful attention needs to be paid to what is proper to the places, times, and persons in the text so that we don't condemn something that we disagree with in the Bible too hastily, right? He he wants us to make sure that we are not asserting, he, he puts it this way, we don't want to assert rashly something that the author did not intend. If we're going to do that, then we could really kind of make the text say whatever we want it to say. Um, it, but assert, discerning authorial intent is one of the, is a really, really good way of setting up 
faithful guardrails to any interpretive um, conclusions that we're going to come to. So that leads us into Augustine's um, a, a second. That leads us into a second piece of advice that Augustine gives to us when we're reading the Bible, um, when we're trying to faithfully enter into communion with God through the Bible. And um, the the rule that he gives us for interpretation, in addition to historical context, original language, all that kind of thing, authorial intent, is this thing called the rule of faith. So does when we're coming to a text, the question, another question we should be asking is, does our interpretation of this text, does the meaning that we're getting from it, does it agree with or disagree with the what he calls the rule of faith, which is another way of saying like the creeds of the church, the ecumenical creeds of the church, so like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these kind of historical um, formulations of the meaning of Christianity that all Christians agreed on when they came out, and essentially all Christians currently agree with them now. So so we can't come to a text and think that we've discerned the meaning of it, and the meaning of the t- and the meaning that we think we've discerned is that um, Christ was not an incarnate human being, right? Because that's directly against <laughs> the rule of faith or what it means to be a Christian. Um, that might be a simple and obvious example, but it, but our reading needs to be guided by the rule of faith. In addition to the rule of faith, or kind of as a as a more vivid articulation of it, Augustine has this beautiful category called the rule of love that also needs to guide our reading. And um, he, he basically sums it up all like this. He says, like, once you have done all the work that you need to be doing in terms of historical context and grammar and genre and all that kind of thing, um, you, you have one last thing to check your interpretation against, and it's this. Uh, does it build up? Does it motivate you? Does it articulate, express, reflect upon the love of God and love of neighbor? So here's how he says it. He says, The sum of all we have said since we began to speak of things comes to this. It's to be understood that the plentitude or the fullness of all the sacred scriptures, the end of all of these things, the purpose of all of these things, is the love of a being which is to be enjoyed and of a being that can share in that enjoyment with us. Whoever, therefore, thinks that he understands the divine scriptures or any part of them, such that it does not build up the double love of God and neighbor, does not understand it at all. Okay. So those are three rules that Augustine gives us. There's one last rule that he also gives us that is kind of the last, in my opinion, kind of fail-safe check on your own interpretation of the Bible. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do, even though it's an intuitive thing to do. It, the more that you think about it, the more complicated it all becomes. But really, if you put into practice the rule of love, like, uh, like we just talked about, in this last rule, I think you'll be in a pretty safe place. And the last rule is this. Um, Augustine wants us to pay attention to what he calls the relative clarity of the scriptures. And what he means by that is that there are some places of the Bible that are super clear, and there are some places of the Bible that are not super clear what they mean. And we need to interpret less clear passages in light of more clear passages. So what do I mean? Well, what I mean is kind of something like this. So um, the, the verse, Jesus wept. That's very clear. It's very easy to understand what the author is intending there. He's intending to relay to us the fact that Jesus cried. 
when he found out when he when he arrived at the place where his friend Lazarus had died. Okay, that's pretty easy. An example of something that's less easy to understand what it means or why it's there or how it fits into this story that the Bible tells us. Something like I don't know something in like the Levitical law when it says um, it's talking about like shellfish, right? You shall regard them. <laughs> You should regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. What's that all about? Well, I don't have time to go into everything that that's about right now, but one of the major major things that you have to be doing when you're interpreting a text like that is comparing it to what the Bible says in other places very clearly. Okay, so all of that, all of those things I just talked about, the rule of faith, the rule of love, comparing unclear passages to more clear passages, and then getting in as close as you can to authorial intent. All these things are going to help you get into the text. They're going to help you get engaged with the text. They're going to make the, the words on the page it's themselves make more sense to you, which is a, a really wonderful thing to experience. But all of these things, and this is the last thing I want to say, all of these things have to be done in the recognition and, and with a mindfulness of the fact that it is the Holy Spirit that is at work through the scriptures when we read them. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit that brings us to a, a new appreciation that can strike us, you know, it can strike us dumb when we, when we read a text that we can feel confronted personally by God's word. The, what's happening there is that the Holy Spirit is um, communing with you through the scriptures. It's the spirit that makes the word living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We talked about that last week. That can bring us to conviction, that can bring us to um, repentance, that can bring us to an assurance of God's love for us. All of these things are done by the Holy Spirit. And so um, this, the, the, the word of God itself is a means by which we come into communion with God. And when we read it by ourselves and with other people, when we listen to it read in church, when we listen to it preached, um, it is helpful to have all these different interpretive categories on our minds to practice them, um, but they always have to be done in light of the fact that God, by His Spirit, uses the Word to speak to us, and that is how we come into communion with God through the Bible. Okay, so that's all for this week. Uh, next week, we are going to move into thinking about communion with God through justification. Um, so I encourage you to listen to that as well. Um, this is a this is a pretty important one um, because this is the way that we, in reality, um, are turned from enemies of God into children of God. And so um, I I want to encourage you to to tune in. We're actually I think gonna, we're going to do our best to release it this Friday. So I encourage you to listen and uh, look forward to seeing you all at some point this week. Bye.